It's the 4th of May, 2021. It's a lunar observance day today as well. In Thai, this is called one Prat. It's literally the noble day. And how is it noble? Well, it's the opportunity for us to make our hearts good, to develop our hearts. And so for some people on these lunar observance days, they normally, uh, on other days, they would normally drink alcohol, but on this day, they stop. And some people, they normally kill animals, but on the one pra, they stop. And so they take up these five precepts, and these five precepts are uh, the quality of humans, those who have high minds. In a Bali language, this is manusa. Manu means mind or heart, and usa means high. So you put these two words together and you get manusa or human, uh, one who has a high mind. So we see in the world, in the present day, there are seven billion people on this planet. But we can ask, well, how many of those seven billion have high minds? How many keep the five precepts? And uh, even for just one day, whether it's a Saturday or Sunday or these lunar observance days, how many can keep these five precepts for just one day? And uh, if we include all religions, and other religions people keep these precepts as well, but for all the people in this planet, how many are really intent to keep these five precepts? And so we see that there are many people, but there are not very many human. And so this is why we say that being born as a human is very difficult. And the comparison that the Buddha gave, it's like a turtle that's in the great ocean. And there's one stick, bamboo stick, that's floating on the water, and it has a hole in it. And the stick is blown around by the wind in the four directions, and it gets blown here and there. And this turtle is blind. And even if it wasn't blind, even if it was able to see, it would still be very difficult for this turtle to perceive or notice that bamboo stick. But this is a blind turtle, which surfaces every hundred years. So if that turtle were to surface and stick its head through the hole in the bamboo stick, how likely would that be? And that's similar to how difficult it is to gain a human birth. So we can compare that now to this present day and age. And there are many people, but those who are intent in keeping the five precepts for their entire lives, it's very, very difficult to find these people. And uh, even just in one day, it's hard to find people who can keep these five precepts. But when we do keep those for a single day, and then we become a human. And uh, there are many beings, many people who aren't humans. There are many different kind of flavors to these people, many different kinds of people. Uh, there are sweet ones, sour ones, bitter ones. And, um, and there are many different uh, aramanas which we experience. 
So if we keep these precepts and we become a human, if our standard of behavior is less than this, uh, then we're a person. If it drops even further, then we fall and become an animal. So now in this present age, nowadays, with the pandemic that's going around, we see that this really puts a lot of pressure on people. And sometimes we see the news and it's very sad what we see. And there are some people quite devoid of goodness. There's a mother who's contracted this virus and her children just abandon her because they're afraid of getting it as well. But we also see that there are many good people around. You see the news of the doctors and nurses who are sacrificing so much in order to help these sick people, doing so with all the energy, the effort that they have. And for some of them, caring for these patients until they themselves die. And there's even stories of a husband and wife who are doctors and both of them passed away. So we see that doctors and nurses have great kindness, great compassion. Even if the patient can't walk, then some doctors carry them on their own backs. So they have this spirit of sacrifice, seeing people suffer and wanting to help them out through the kindness and compassion in their hearts. These are people who are devoted to cultivating their barami, their spiritual virtues, and so we could call them bodhisattvas, helping those who are in suffering and pain. And so they do this through a sense of kindness, through compassion, through pity, wanting to help each other out, wanting to support the world. So we see in uh, some countries they've created a vaccine for the COVID virus, and um, they help out other countries who don't have this. And they don't think of making a profit uh, from it, but they just wish to help out. So we should contemplate and see that these days and nights, they're passing by very quickly. Already in this year, we've passed through January, February, March, April, and it's into May already, the fifth month. And time goes very by very, very fast like this. It's very quick. And so when this is the case, when time passes by, then we shouldn't be heedless. We shouldn't be heedless. Uh, because these lives of ours, they're not sure. But what is for sure is that they don't last. So we have this opportunity now to gain a human body, a very difficult opportunity. And uh, why is this great fortune to have the body of a human? Because in gaining that, we have the opportunity to study the Dhamma, we can train our minds to become higher. We can develop them so that they gain knowledge and understanding. Train these hearts so they can gather into peace. It's possible to do this as a human. And even though it can be quite difficult, it's not above our abilities. But if we don't train our minds, then they'll always be running after the sensations or the different things that we experience, or the different forms and sounds smells, tastes, tactile sensations that we find pleasurable. And the mind runs after those. It thinks that these are the most important things in life. 
But what about these experiences that we don't like, forms and sounds and smells and tastes that we don't like? We don't want to get those. Because if we do, we feel like we will suffer. We want happiness, but instead we get a lot of difficulty and suffering. We want to just experience enjoyment and pleasure in this life. But this happiness, it doesn't last forever. If we get it, um, then we feel like we will be so happy, we'll experience great pleasure and joy. Like how people want to get a body which is strong, which lasts forever, which never gets sick, which has an amazing immune system that's able to ward off all illnesses. We think that if we get this, then we will be very happy. And uh, so like in the present day, how people have to be so cautious uh, with the pandemic spreading around, they have to be very careful, afraid that they may get it, they may contract it from something, and we don't know what we're going to get it from. Even when we're the family members or our friends, we need to be very cautious of one another. Because the virus, it's not something that we can see. And just like how animals need to be very careful around humans, afraid of humans, because they don't know whether they're going to kill them or not. And if they are close to people, they need to be very cautious, and this is a great amount of suffering for them. So it's similar um, for all of us in this present day and age, that we all need to be very cautious of one another. And so we can't really be that happy around each other anymore. But we think that if we gain a great immune system, then we won't get this disease, and we'll be very happy, our bodies will experience great pleasure. If we have a strong body, we can sit, stand, walk, lie down for long periods of time, we won't feel any ache. Perhaps we won't need to sleep at all. The body will feel very fresh, very rejuvenated, even without sleep. And perhaps we think if we gain a body that doesn't need any water, or perhaps we just drink a tiny amount and we're able to live for a long time from that, can eat food just once a month, and the body's able to stay on. This will be a great form of happiness because we won't need to seek out so many things. So gaining a body like this, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't experience pain, that doesn't experience hunger or thirst, that's just pleasurable, this is a heavenly body, this is like heaven. But the problem is that it doesn't stay, it doesn't last. Because this kind of body, it arises from the merit that we've created, and that the mind full of merit, it can go to a realm like this. But when this merit runs out, then it falls could fall into a human state, or lower into an animal, or even lower than that. So therefore, the opportunity that we have now to train our minds to be high, to develop, is very important. So on these Lunar Observance Days, we should take up these precepts, whether the five precepts or the eight precepts, for those who normally don't keep any of these, then they should take up the five precepts. For those who keep the five precepts as a normal way of living, then they should increase that to the eight precepts. And so this is a noble day, this Lunar Observance Day. It's a day that we make our minds noble. And through 
cultivating mindfulness and through developing wisdom, this all-round knowing, seeing the drawbacks in the cycle of samsara. But something that's very important is that if we're developing wisdom, but we're just using a lot of thought, then this can create a scattered nature of mind. We may understand clearly, but that's just an understanding that comes through memory. Like one time at Lumpucha's monastery, Wat Nombapong, there was a monk who gave an explanation of dependent origination. And he did so very clearly. He was very skilled at this. But as I was listening, I didn't really understand what he was saying. And he explained all the different steps of this, um, all the way from uh, ignorance to that giving rise to becoming and birth, and then sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. And so he explained all these different steps, and how the mind goes through these. And uh, it's really a very subtle process. I was with Limpo Cha at the time, and he turned to me as this monk was explaining dependent origination. And he said that those people who explain the Dhamma, but they themselves don't know the truth, they fall into hell. So this monk had asked Limpo Cha for the opportunity to talk a bit about the Dhamma, but he went on to explain this very high form of Dhamma, this dependent origination, uh, that which caused the Buddha to attain to awakening to the Dhamma. He was very skilled at explaining this, but I didn't really understand clearly what he was saying. And uh, his knowledge that he gained didn't arise from meditation. The way that Lumpur Chah explained this dependent origination, it wasn't so profound as that. He explained it in quite a basic way. He said, well, do you feel happiness? Do you feel any suffering? Do you feel any liking or disliking? When you gain these feelings, then have mindfulness there. Know what they are. So have mindfulness, knowing these things, and try to make your minds firm in samadhi, so that they can see into inconstancy, into how things are always changing, how they're not sure. And through doing this, the mind becomes very bright, very clear. As we carry meditating, then this is just natural. And eventually the mind gathers together and we see clearly and see everything fall apart. And it's really amazing when this happens they were able to destroy this uh, Sakaya Ditti, the self-view. This view that takes things as a being, as an us or them. Able to get rid of this and replace it with right view. There's an amazing radiance that comes up at this point. That whatever we see, we perceive it arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, no matter what it is. If it's a monastery or a dharma hall or a house, we see it just arising and ceasing. All the people that we observe, it's like they're all running towards their death. And the Dharma is very amazing here. And for myself, I didn't think that I would be able to see things like this. And that I'd be able to meet with this clear knowledge. But it's very important, this insight. And when we see things in this way, then faith becomes 
firmly established. And when we gain wisdom, then this is what it's like. Our faith increases, our effort increases, mindfulness and samadhi all increase. When we've seen things in this light, then we know that if, if we were to gain everything in the world as our own, as our own possession, not all of that wouldn't compare to this, to having this insight, to seeing in this way. And that's how I felt, that I didn't want any of these things. And we see clearly, we don't want the world. We put these things down. And that all I wanted was Nibbāna. And so this increases our efforts and our energy. Seeing things in this way is something we should really pursue. We shouldn't be heedless in the lives that we have. You shouldn't go and think that I'll die at the age of 80 because it's not sure. It's possible that we can die in each and every moment. And for the people who are getting the vaccines for COVID, some of them aren't dying due to COVID, but they're dying due to the vaccines. It's a small chance, but it's still possible, and people are afraid of this. But for many people, they have to get these vaccines, and they can't not get them. But getting them is dangerous, it's a risk. And so it's not sure these things are uncertain. And so we shouldn't be too afraid about this. We shouldn't give in to fear. We should think that when we get the vaccine, then if we get sick, then we get sick, and that's okay. And it's better for us to develop our hearts, to work on cultivating our minds. And we see that we haven't just died from this life only. We've gone through death many, many times, for many, many lives already. So there's one time that Dika Naka, the Brahmin who had long nails, he was a nephew of Venerable Sariputta, and he climbed up Vulture's Peak in order to find a pure place to die. And in those days, it was very difficult to get up there. They didn't have steps. They had to climb up the rocks. When he climbed up, he met Sariputta and he met the Buddha. And the Buddha could see that this was someone who was close to seeing the Dhamma. So the Buddha asked him, why have you come here? And he responded that I've come to find a pure place to die. The Buddha then said that you yourself have died here many hundreds of times. You see, the Buddha is not a normal being. He was able to perceive these things that no one could compare to the Buddha. So this Brahman was shocked when he heard this, and he believed what the Buddha said, that he himself had died many times. He died there. And so he thought, well, what should I do now? I've died here many times already, and I'm coming up to die again. And so when he thought like this, he didn't want to die there. But he also had views that he held to. He had thoughts that he clung to. And uh, this Brahman, he wasn't someone stupid. So this view that he had, he thought that the things that he liked, he wanted to get those. And really all people are the same in this way. 
all of the forms, the sounds, the tastes, the odors, the tactile sensations that we find pleasing, we want to get those. The things we don't enjoy, we don't want to receive those. The things that cause us suffering, we don't want to get. The things that we like, we think they're good. So we just want to get only those things, only good things, and we think then we'll feel very at ease. But the Buddha asked him, or said to him, this view that you have, this view is not good. And the Brahmin was confused. He thought, well, why isn't this good? It's a great view. The things that I like, I should get those. The things I don't like, I don't want to get them. And if things are this way, then I'll be happy. But the Buddha asked him, well, old age, sickness, and death, do you like these things? And the Brahmin started to realize what he was saying. He said, no, I don't like them. And the Buddha asked, well, will you experience them? And even though this Brahmin was still young, he was just a nephew of Venerable Sariputta, he saw that he would need to experience these things. He'd have to get old, he'd have to get sick, he'd have to die. And that he had gone to find a place to die shows that he knew this. He knew that he would have to die. And so he contemplated um, into this, into the nature of old age, sickness, and death. And wisdom arose immediately within him, and he was able to understand clearly. His mind gathered together this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, of virtue, of collectedness, and wisdom. It all gathered together. So we see that this Brahman was already well established in virtue. He had already trained himself in samadhi. And so this wisdom, before he met the Buddha, it had arisen to some degree in that he wanted to find a pure place, somewhere that was free from any defilement. But when his mind gathered together, then he gained this clear knowledge. He knew that having been born, he'd have to accept that old age, sickness and death are normal things. And when we accept these things as being normal, then we see the Dhamma. And so for people these days, we all have this kind of view as well, this kind of conceit. Everyone's afraid of old age, sickness and death, aren't they? We're really afraid of this, but we have to experience these things. So there are different ways in which we can be afraid. There are people who are afraid with wisdom. And so they fear old age, sickness and death, and they seek to find a path out of this. But there are those who are deluded, who are fearful through delusion. And so they just remain scared. But for those who have wisdom, then they see the danger in these things, and they find that path of practice that leads out of them. So this Brahman, he praised the Buddha as being someone who points out the way, and someone who shows the way to people who are lost, who opens what is closed, who turns upright what was upside down, who lights the path, who lights the way. And this clear knowledge had arisen within uh, the Brahman's heart. He saw into the Dhamma at this point. And he became a Savaka Buddha, a Buddha who was a disciple. 
an awakened being, a disciple of the Buddha. And so for us, it's possible for this inner Buddha to arise for us as well, if we practice. And so for me, when I started out on this practice, and it was kind of good sometimes, and it wasn't so good other times, I experienced peace some, and things were quite scattered and chaotic at other times. And I kept these, initially tried to keep these five precepts. And so I started out as a Pratujana, as someone thick with the defilements, just like anyone else. As I carry on practicing, seeing the danger in the cycle of samsara, then slowly turned into Kalyanachana, a good being. And I, th- I thought for now that it's very difficult eating all these three meals. So what if I keep the eight precepts and in the evening I just take some drinks and uh, will that be enough for me? And I was able to see that I could survive off just that. And I thought, well, meditation monks, when they eat, they put all their food into the same bowl. And so I tried that out as well. I put the desserts and the savory items all into the same bowl. And uh, the taste, well, it's difficult to describe. Normally I would eat a large bowl of food, but that day I was only able to get through half of it. I was wondering whether my body would be able to accept that. That if I went to ordain as a monk, whether I'd really be able to take it. So it's not like how things are in the present day. You see how meditation monks, they separate their food out. They put some food into their arms bowl and then some food into their bowl lid and then others into different plates and everything's kind of nicely separated out. And as they eat, they think about this and that and their minds are scattered all over the place. And uh, so this isn't the path that leads out of the kilesas. But rather what we should be doing is we should put everything together into the bowl. What would that be like? You put the sweet things together with the rice and the savory items all into the same vessel. And this is how meditation monks should practice. So I trained like this when I was a lay person. I listened to Lumpucha's Dhamma, his teachings, and my mind gathered together and became very bright. I was able to see how all things were changing, all things are not sure. Whatever I looked at, it could see it as being anichang could see things as being anatta, as not-self. It was very subtle, but I was perceiving these things through inner knowledge. If we look at things just through our eyes, we look at a building, then what we see is steel, concrete. But when we look at it through inner knowledge, we can see it as just being tiny particles that are all arising and ceasing. It's like how we may see cells through a microscope. And we can see these dying, we can see them decaying. So that's what it's like when we see very subtly through this inner knowledge. We can see very deeply into things. This knowledge is what's able to allow us to put down our clinging. And the number of lives that we have then reduces. Able to give some of these up, to put some of these down. At this point, then, my wrong views changed into right views, and Nibbāna became the object of my mind. And there was a great lightness, a great joy in the mind. 
You could see that even if I were to gain everything in the world, all as my own possessions, I'd still need to get old, need to get sick, and need to die. And so just as an arahant, a fully awakened being, had once said that the world has no owner, that none of the things in the world can last, they're all swept away. The world is insatiable, it's a slave to craving. That we want just the things that we like. We want to be very rich, to be millionaires. But why do we want that? What are we going to gain? We're just going to gain forms and sounds and smells and tastes and touches. And these things, are they really good things? Are we ever going to have enough of them? Are we ever going to stop this pursuit of them? And it's never enough, because these things are always arising and ceasing. All the happiness that we've experienced in the past, that's already gone. We can't store it away, we can't keep it, we can't deposit it in a bank, like we can with material things. See how we can store coarse things, money, for example, in a bank. But even so, there are problems. Perhaps someone comes and robs the bank, and then we lose all our wealth. And so if we want to store all the happiness away so that we can keep all of that, and we want to delete any suffering that we experience, well, this just isn't possible. To just experience happiness, to never experience any pain, any discomfort, any despair, this just can't be, because things have to follow in accordance with Dhamma. The mind attaches to all of these things as being me and mine, that I am happy, I am suffering. But we should ask ourselves, where is this I? Where is this me? If this happiness is really me, then shouldn't it stay with me forever? But it's something which ceases, which goes away. So when we see the Dhamma, we see that happiness is merely happiness. It's not a self, it's not me, it's not mine. It's something that has arisen due to causes. And when those causes go, then that happiness goes. And here things become very clear. We gain a deep insight into the Dhamma. So therefore, the developing of our mind is for the sake of changing our views from right views to from wrong views to right views and to good views. And when this happened for me, it was a Lunar Observance Day as well. I was listening to a teaching by Lumpur Cha, and I understood this teaching clearly. I already had great respect for Lumpur Cha, that I had gone to pay respects to him many times at his monastery, and he had even come to Ayutthaya, where I lived. And the monastery that he came to was very close to my house and where I worked. But when I saw the Dhamma through that teaching, I saw into it very clearly. Then I gained the faith to ordain, to put down worldly things. So when I went to ordain Lumpur Cha, he asked my mother if he could have one of her children. I already felt like Lumpur Cha was my father and he asked my mother to take me as his child. And my mother agreed. 
And so I stayed with Lumpucha and undertook his path of practice. And so for all of us, we can do this. It's possible for lay people to see the Dhamma. It's actually something that's quite easy. We just look into these bodies, ask ourselves, what about them is really me? What in this body is me? If we ask the different parts of our body this, the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, our lungs, our heart, our veins, our blood, they don't reply, they just stay still. But what does answer is the mind, and that's what says that these things are me. But what that shows is that the one who's answering, this mind of ours, is a liar. These kilesas, which and uh, within the mind, they are lying to us. Because the truth, if we see things through mindfulness, is that these things are not me. And when we perceive this, then the mind grows very bright. And we see how we just stay here temporarily. We don't live in this world for long. There's no owner of this world. And even these bodies, we don't own these bodies. They just stay here temporarily. So why should we give importance to the things of the world? We shouldn't get drunk on these things. If we experience happiness, don't get intoxicated by that happiness. If we're suffering, don't be intoxicated by that suffering. Have mindfulness to separate these things out, to separate the mind and its, and its emotions out. So put your effort into practicing in this way. And may all of you be firmly intent in this. <laughs>